Grapple fans, and welcome to another episode of Let Me Tell You Something, where myself, Lorca Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross, spend their 2019 not getting out there, not spending the last days of our peak decade getting the most out of our life. No, we're sitting in dark, lonely rooms, watching old, old wrestling matches, the majority of which we probably already know the results to, and analysing them with a fine tooth comb and a, per- and a microscope. A periscope would be a really weird way. Uh, I was doing some swimming whilst watching it at the time. Uh, But that's what we do. That's what we are here for. And that's what we're going to do today, Simon, aren't we? Are things okay at home, Lorcan? Yeah, for the most part. My pool's (laughs) fucking up and I shouldn't have a TV so close to it. But um, I'll tell you what my friend had. We we were at a gym for a while. And a mate of mine, uh, there was a pool and you know we like you like to listen to music and stuff to or whatever to just you know distract yourself from the fact you're exercising and instinctively yeah. wanting to stop that um so he invested in headphones that were for swimming and they, have you ever seen those it was no. it they were so long and lodged so far into your head i could have sworn they like touch in the middle of your uh, head that's how long they are like earbuds becoming Eskimo brothers in a sense. Well, you might want to have earbuds for this match since it involves Vince McMahon commentating, but I don't think he does too obnoxious a job. As we watch, after just like buses, you wait ages for one and suddenly two come in quick succession. We waited ages for one five-star match from the WWE. That came a few episodes ago with the Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon ladder match. And a mere one paper, uh, two pay-per-views later, sorry for getting King of the Ring, we have another one. Dave Meltzer dishing out two five stars in one year for WWE, which is rare to this day. And it is Bret Hart defending his WWF championship against Owen Hart in a steel cage. A 15-foot high, as they were reiterating to us, steel cage match at SummerSlam 94. So, Simon, we have watched... And rated five stars, both of us, in the debrief episode, where we were giving alternative five stars. The previous, probably more famous Bret Hart-Owen Hart match, the one they had at WrestleMania 10. And Dave Meltzer thinks that this match is even better. So I won't ask you immediately if that's, those are your thoughts, but was this... Um, be a very short episode if he did. Yes. Is this? I'm trying to remember now. Is this the first Steel Cage match that Meltzer gave five stars to? Because we also did discuss the... Uh, I quit Steel Cage match from Starcade 85. That, what um, do you count War Games as? Nah, that's the question, isn't it? That's like a cell structure and it's different rules than a cage match. Yeah. And the two rings. It's a very different beast. Because this isn't a... The um, same milieu. This is like death metal against like whatever that J-pop metal band is or something like that. But speaking of rules... um. This is an escape-only cage match. And this is... I have to say, I've, I've in the past criticised the escape rule as not making much sense within the sense of a cage match is supposed to be two people that hate each other. They have to have their bitter rivalry decided 
within a confined space and or, then it essentially becomes a contest of who can run away from the other one. Yeah. Or <laughs> it's a case of um, outside elements have been interfering too much. So let's take yes. away their ability it's to interfere. Always, in the WWF, the tradition of being that this is the feud capper. And this was yeah. sort of what they did. Like you'd have the match would, you know, the, 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 the house show loop that had been the WWF's bread and butter until only a few years ago and still was a major uh, revenue uh, provider until relatively recently was the main event guy would have the first match they'd maybe lose by disqualification, the second match they'd maybe lose by count-out, and then in the third match, they have it in the cage, so there's no way to escape, and it's the capper to the feud, and it's all going to be over after this one. And that time, the Victor- the, the babyface, the Samatino, the Morales, the Bob Backlund, the Hulk Hogan, gets their, get, gives the opponent their comeuppance and they become the winner. And, and that's the, that was the thing with the cage match. It was always the final chapter of the feud. Um, and up to a point it was with this in the Bretton Owen stopped having so many matches with each other. But the feud was still defined. Like when Brett loses the title to Bob Backlund at the Survivor Series three months later, it's due to the interference of Owen on the outside. But this was the last time that they had a pay-per-view match against each other. Um, And this is a match that Brett and Owen really took advantage in this one of the escape rules. And like we said with the Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon match, it was very much about the thrill of the climb or the the scrambling to the door. Because like like maybe 40% of this match is them trying to leave as much as it is having a match. Oh, is that that heavy sigh suggesting it wasn't to your taste? Well, we did cover this um, in terms of when we were talking about how ladder matches have evolved in the Razor Ramon Shawn Michaels episode. I think um, one of the things is they climb too often um, in those matches. And I think this is something that's a similar thing that happened in this cage match. I think there's possibly a hair too much climbing, personally. Um, I think it's Brett's desire for realism in a storyline, and uh... I, no, no, yeah, yeah, no, I, I get because it's escape only, it changes the dynamic. Massively. And maybe also because the title's on the line as well. Maybe there's <clears> that sense of you know, it's yeah. not just the hatred. And it is interesting, like they, this is a more violent when they're when they are wrestling, they're fighting each other, and Bret Hart's yeah. You know, he's laying in punches to Owen that we didn't see in the WrestleMania 10 match. It's clear that uh, Owen well, organized him to the point that he's kind of forgotten all the brotherly elements. Well, Owen's been also legitimized because yeah. Owen's one up in, on the scorecard. Well, I mean, they'll have had dozens and dozens of matches all around. But not on the grand Brett's stage. Won, where Brett's won. So. Yeah. But not when the lights are shining brightest. Mm. Um. They were having like Iron Man matches and all sorts of stuff on the loop, you know. Well, you know, you got to sell tickets, yeah. and they, uh, you know that would have been f- really good to watch. But after that, on the house shows, that the feud transitioned to tag matches with Brett and Davey against Owen and Jim Neidhart, the two on two of the on. Jim, Jim as a black-haired guy looks really, really weird. Mm. That that I, I was very unsettled by that. And then after that, Brett was. Would take on Neidhart on the on the main events for the title. Mm. After that, so the Hart Foundation finally did explode. 
Speaking uh, of which, the person who um, gives out all the uh, comp tickets really uh, screwed the poots, didn't he? Putting Jim so close to the heart yeah, family. What was he thinking? <laughs> I don't uh, know, what do you think of David Boy's hair? It's even worse than the dreads at this point. It's just so. I mean, I know they did that, the, the cuts to the uh, concerned Diana uh, during Brett David Boy at SummerSlam, uh, which we covered in one of our um, alternates. Um, but I think they cut like the family. Scouse wife in yeah. the eighties. Do you know, do you think they cut to the family too much? Well, that's the, the. I think Vince is all about the stories and he, you know, over the match itself, and and they loved bringing the Hart family around and, and really playing to the dysfunction of it, and you know, the, all the way to their payoff match, uh, Brett and Vince at WrestleMania twenty six, and that's got all the. Heart family on the outside of the ring. Yeah. So they always love that feuding family thing. And, and the Heart family are a, a group of, um, let's say, eccentrics and be on the kind side. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Hart there, always always ready for a fight. Yeah. Stu's quite... Uh... What the problem with Stu? What did I, <laughs> I think he's going to win it? Well, no, I, I'm saying he's a yeah, he's a character. Yes, did you see that? Jim because Cornette I want to keep story? all my limbs. Yeah, Jim Connets from Beyond the Grave. He'll come back. And... It's so freaky how much Brett looks like Stu now, though. Mm. It kind of freaks me out every time I see him. But um, uh, I love that Jim Cornette story when uh, Davy Boy Smith was feuding with Shawn Michaels, and they said Diana was claiming that he made a pass at her. And yeah. uh, Stu said, uh, I think it was to Vince, he says, Vince, you're making my daughter look like a whore. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine Vince, um, Vince McMahon's not afraid of many things, but I can imagine being stretched by Stu Hart would have yeah, been one. I guess he would like be quick with the handshakes. Well, you know, Vince and his machismo, he thought he was going to take Brett in the fight that they had. So, you know. It- he kept trying to. Um, I know we're segueing slightly, but Vince did keep trying to like tackle Kurt Angle to the ground. Yes, he's a madman. Let's let's make that clear. Um, he is bananas. Yes, but what did you think in comp- like? So did you not think that they they played with the rules well? Like sometimes people just have a match and then use the rules, whereas this is defined by the... It's like how with the way that Ric Flair wrestled in the I Quit match with Terry Funk was very different to the way that he wrestles usually, either as a babyface or, or the traditional Flair heel match. Like, yes. This is the third very different Ric Flair. Similarly, this was a very different Bret and Owen. They were trying to incapacitate each other, but they, you know, they, they were milking the crowds, and the crowd is going mental. Again, I miss these crowds. There's not four-syllable chants going on every other minute. They're just watching the match, cheering the good guy, booing the bad guy, worried whenever Owen's getting close to leaving, like literal screams in the crowd of, of fear and panic, and jumping up and down with excitement when Brett looks like he's close to doing it. I I miss I, these kind of crowds. I think they do work uh, with the rules quite well, However, the key difference between this and the example you made of um, Flair and Funk Funk, is that the Flair and Funk gimmick that they were working with um, didn't have a detrimental impact on flow. 
Matches such as... I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. Uh, matches such as cage matches, ladder matches, and my personal bugbear, tables matches, are often so... When an object and a specific way of using that object is essential to how you win the match it is very very easy uh, and very very tiresome to go down the same spots the same routes um to set up the peril of um setting up that particular object like tables matches people get so like or off balance near tables during tables matches which they just don't in other matches i quit matches um more in the modern day the flare funk isn't a good isn't a good example of this mercifully but um moves which wouldn't have much an impact um they're puffing and panting after like um two seconds because they have to get the microphone and go do you quit no i don't it uh, it it I have takes to you... disagree with you with regards to this match. I think this match is the best use of the cage gimmick that I can recall. And I think very often people do cite it as the best WWE, at least, cage match for that reason. That there is that scramble to win. There is that desire to win. They're wrestling to win. But they're also fighting each other because they hate each other. So it's taking the two elements of the cage match. The, the escape rule and the these people hate each other so much they have to go into a cage. And they can't do the shortcuts of blood at this yeah. point. You know, they're not allowed to blade. They're, they don't have that, you know, ramming them into the mesh of the cage. And it's a long match. Like, for example, I remember the first steel cage match I watched was the Ultimate Warrior against Rick Rude at SummerSlam 90 for the WWF title. And that match goes 10 minutes. This goes 32 minutes. And that's really long for a WWE match. Very few matches in that era going over 20 minutes, especially like 25 minutes. And this goes beyond 30. Yeah. And it's wrestled at a fast pace. There are no real rest spots. There's no chin locks other than the, the, the repeat of the sharpshooter spot from WrestleMania 10. There's no real sub- like submission holds or anything like that. Yeah. And when they do it, there's the logic to it. Like Owen says, I'm going to break his leg. Um, so then he obviously can't climb or he can't crawl out the ladder. Do anything. Cage. And it's yeah. just the rationality of it. One goes to crawl out the ring, one of them stops them, and then they logically go for it as well. And it's the, the backwards and forwards and the timing. And one of the things they do in this cage, I remember much when, I, when I watched it, because I remember being really worried when I watched it that Brett was going to lose. Because of my, this was like my early smarkiness of just seeing through the patterns and everything. Like I said, I yeah. predicted that Owen was going to win at WrestleMania 10 and that Brett would win the title. My understanding, I'd always, I'd looked at how wrestling pay-per-views ended, and they always ended with a good guy winning. And when a bad guy was going to win a big match, that wouldn't be the last match. The obvious example I would have cited then was that, like, when The Undertaker beat Hulk Hogan for the world title at the Survivor Series 91, that was, like, the only time Hulk Hogan wasn't the final match on the card. And the yeah. final match on the card was the Legion of Doom winning an elimination match. So it ends with the Legion of Doom. It ends with the Babyface winning. There had been an exception with the Ric Flair Royal Rumble, but for the most part, it had copied that formula all the time after that. I don't recall, other than the Royal Rumbles, where Ric Flair won and Yokozuna won the next year, I couldn't recall another time where a heel had won the match. Yeah. And so 
if a face was going to lose a big match, it wasn't going to be the last match. And I thought Bret and Owen not being the last match, the last match was The Undertaker returning to take on the fake Undertaker, Ugh. meant that Bret could lose. I didn't know it opened the lose, door, but I thought he could. I remember kind of going crazy saying, It's not the last match. It's not the last match. He's going to lose. And my cousin Matthew being highly amused by that and kind of taunting me with it for the rest. And, you know, <laughs> to be in that, watching that kind of match and being nervous, you know, they, they tug on your heartstrings throughout mm. the match because this was the other thing that in cage matches, the other rule I knew was in a cage match, if you were climbing the cage and you went over, then that means you won the cage match and it was just the climb down after that. Yeah, and the all other times, like it was like kind of like how you are you say now with the money in the bank match, you know they're going to win because then they start actually playing with the latch as opposed yeah. to just touching the briefcase. In those matches, you knew, so like Owen and Brett at several points get over the top of the cage and are trying to get down, and the other guys trying to pull them back into the like. There's one point where Brett's basically holding Owen by the hair, and Owen's legs are dangling. You know, the, again, they milk it so well, and the crowd's going crazy. So, um, I know I'm I'm sort of defending this match um, to the hilt, really. I guess against him. yeah, it's. Did you not I, enjoy it, or did you? No, just... I, I I enjoyed it. I just this is a very very personal bugbear of mine with professional wrestling as a whole, not just cage matches, um, but the way that gimmicks infringe on the match but if, not, if you don't want it to infringe on the match then you wouldn't have a gimmick a gimmick has to change it what i mean by that is it means not it changes the match but it changes it because it to should. a detrimental effect so are there are examples of of gimmick matches that improve upon the match then are you um, you do you honestly think that Shawn michaels razor ramon in a straight wrestling match at wrestlemania 10 would have been better than them having a ladder match at wrestlemania 10 no no there are good gimmick matches and i'm not saying this isn't one i'm saying there is a lot of escaping which calls back to an earlier point where i think there is too much climbing sometimes in ladder matches um i take your point obviously because it's escape only it's a different vibe um but it's different to what i'm hardwired to seeing in cage matches um in terms of like gimmicks that improve matches i do believe hell in a cell to be one of them Mm at least when it was initially used, um, once you put a, uh, it has to be at X time of the year stamp on it, it, it stops. Yeah. Well, then it becomes a case of why, why do they need to go into a cell? It's not a match that's, it's not a feud that's level of hatred or, or it's sort of an inverse. You know? It sort of became an inverse of the point I'm making. It, it became that the match, the gimmick was irrelevant to the match. Um, there are some gimmicks are just weird, like Texas bull rope matches. Yeah. Like, you know. Well, I don't think we have any of those. Make, but but the cage is almost as like if you were to say if you were to ask someone who didn't know anything about wrestling to use mm. like ten names phrases they would associate with wrestling, cage match would be one of them. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like cage match, um, Hulk Hogan. They'd say. Yeah, they may say the Rock. I think they say the Rock before they say Austin. They would say the Rock before Austin. A general, the general public. Yeah, um, they might say WrestleMania as a term. You know, WWF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, I think is prevalent enough for in that long enough that that's probably what most people know it to be now. I would have thought. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, but anyway, let's get back to this WWF match. Yeah. Um, I don't have much more left to add. I love the finish where Owen gets his legs caught in the cage, and so he's just left there dangling, and Brett's able to just land. That on. is the beauty of. Um... The blue bar cage is it gives you it, yeah. it gives you far more scope than a yeah. mesh cage does. And it was as I suspected. The reason that they designed the cage like that was to allow the uh, cameras to be able to fit through the lens, and so it's not in you know, it's not the the view isn't obscured to the audience. Yeah. Um, Something they should have had in mind when they designed the Punjabi prison. But it also, more so than any other cages of that match, it seemed to have a bit of a looseness to it because there was like a rattling sound. Yeah. Like early on, Owen attacks Brett as soon as he comes into the ring and he whips him into the corner. It's like there's a shh. That was a really cool uh, element to it, I thought. Yeah. I think uh, both men told told the story really well. Um, as I say, it's just more a case of this... Um, this lent uh, slightly into one of my well, my biggest bugbear in professional wrestling. Well, let's address the elephant in the room, Si, as we reach the end. You're not giving this one five stars, are you? Oh, I'm not. It's 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 very, very, very good. I do think the one at WrestleMania was better, so... Yeah, I'm not quite giving it five stars. As, as uh, If we were to rate it, I imagine my rating would still probably be a bit higher than yours. We talked about the when we talked about the Michaels uh, Razor ladder match, which is the closest gimmick match. Well, it's that's two WWE matches, two gimmick matches so far. Um, and we talked about the cultural significance that one had. Obviously, cage matches, yeah. This one, I mean, cage matches were as old as wrestling to most, yes, to most wrestling fans. As long as they'd have known wrestling, they'll have known cage matches. Cage matches, it might have been a cage match that drew them in. Like, like I said, the Rick Rude Ultimate Warrior cage match was one of the first matches I saw, and it was a visually striking thing, especially the blue bar cage, you know. But do you think that this particular cage match has any cultural significance no, in the same not, way that? Not really. I I, I would imagine no. Oh, you think ladder match? You think Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon? They probably be amongst like to wrestling mm. fans. If you say steel cage match, I don't I don't know that Brett and Owen would be. I don't know if any names would necessarily be attached to that because it was so all encompassing in wrestling. It was like uh, it was the. Game I game. have a particular one in my head. Um... What for for like um, when you say cage match? I guess it's part of my personal story growing up when I didn't have access to like the internet and the wrestling I got was like tapes from a friend and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I have Edge Matt Hardy's cage match in my mind. Okay, but that's that's very much a personal thing. I don't that is a personal like thing. Edge and Matt Hardy. You will associate with ladder matches and TLC you matches as well before you'd associate with a cage match. You would. But that, as I say, it's a very personal. And slant. that was also when the cage around that time was sort of when the cage match, along with the Hell in a Cell match, uh, was defined by a a big jump off the top of the cage. And that was when they also they started bringing it down from the ceiling as opposed to what it was at this point, where they come in yeah. and they manually. If you watch it on SummerSlam, like Vincent and Jerry Lawler have to talk to the Hart family for like a good five minutes or so whilst the group are, are putting the cage up, whereas now it just. I bet Jerry loves that. The ceiling and slots down and, and hopefully Seth Rollins doesn't get impaled by mm. a spike as they're doing it. <laughs> I don't think you should muck about with stuff like that. Like, mm. 
get restless to go through moving stuff like too much. I don't know if he was meant to be there anyway. You know, no one, no one sets out to do that. But um, yeah, it's yeah. So I'm not giving it five stars either, but I think I would rate it higher than you. Uh, I definitely think if you want to watch a great cage match, this would be one of the ones you would recommend. Like I can't think of many other cage matches other than Magnum TA Tully Blanchard, which I think does the more logical thing with the cage gimmick and removes the escape rule. But yeah. if you're gonna do the escape rule, this is the best way you can do it. Another interesting thing about the escape rule that I like about those cage matches is it meant the referee wasn't there, so it made it an even more like simplistic image in the ring of just two guys. And they had more space to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it made it seem bigger as well. But anyway, uh, Simon, if people want to say what they'd like to do with you inside of a steel cage, what can they do to get in touch with you? Uh, the authorities. They can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the uh, cans of hairspray used on Davy Boy Smith's hairstyle. Good God. And his uh, NHS specs as well. <laughs> I, I don't know what you were thinking. It was a bit dear, Barlow. Mm. Uh, if people can get in touch with you and um, share their dear Barlow anecdotes with you, uh, preferably uh, wrestling anecdotes, how can they get in touch with you, Lorcan? They can get in touch with me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Letterboxd, the whole kit caboodle on Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Ascend, N for North, because these guys are from the north of Canada. Uh, that is my email address, if you put an at gmail.com at the end of it as well. And if you want to get in touch with the show, it's lmtyspod at gmail.com. But the next match that we are covering, Simon is going to be let me get my notes do you have it to hand yeah we're I definitely do. not going to be going back to the wwe for a good while now no we are staying in uh america but we're not staying with an american federation uh well, we... yes we're not and um, yes that's true because this is taking place in los angeles and it is a two out of three falls match with hair versus mask for AAA, we're going back to the world of Lucha Libre as El Hijo del Santo and his tag team partner Octagon take on the hated Rudo team of Los Gringos Locos. That's the Love Machine art bar and one of the few appearances, maybe the only appearance, of the late great Eddie Guerrero. So that's yes. going to be one to look forward to. The When Worlds Collide AAA pay-per-view. Now, this is a match I'd read about a fair bit in um, Eddie's autobiography. Um, so I'm, I'm quite looking forward to watching So you'll know this. a bit more than I will. But until then, my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Took you a while to figure that out. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. Oh, yeah.